Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to take you behind the scenes in Smashville. Yoshi slides it in, and the Predators win it overtime. This is the Preds' official podcast with Thomas Willis and Brooks Bratton. Brought to you by Two Rivers Ford, home of the non-commissioned salespeople on Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Predators official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford Stanley Cup Playoff Edition as we preview the postseason series between the Nashville Predators and the Carolina Hurricanes coming up just after this weekend flies right on by. Game one, Monday night in Raleigh, North Carolina between these recently made-to-be division foes after eight times in the regular season. They'll meet a minimum of four more times in the postseason, as the Preds Official Podcast goes three for three on postseason appearances. Perhaps we did not say Stanley Cup playoffs last season due to the qualifying round and all the weirdness that was the return to play in the Edmonton bubble. But certainly this is the Stanley Cup playoff preview edition between the Preds and Canes. I'm Thomas Willis. That was a long intro. Brooks Braddon of NashvillePredators.com, the same website for me. Producer Max, we've set a record. I mean, we're basically Cal Ripken over here with our keeping this streak together, the three of us recording episodes of the show, I don't know, feels at least like a month, four, five, six weeks. Maybe we're the reason the Predators turn their season around. Maybe not. All right, Brooks, <laughs> say hi. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hello. How are you? Yeah, it's three years for this podcast, seven straight years for us. As long as we've been employees of the Nashville Predators, they have been clinching postseason births. So. You're welcome, Smashville. Brooks and I do share a mailbox at Bridgestone Arena, so your fan mail will go to the same place, your letters of thank you and congratulations. We'll pick them up there next time we're at our mailboxes, which will be sooner for me than you. But yeah, go ahead and send the cards. I remember when they first just reassigned those mailboxes. First of all, it says Bratton Willis, so it sounds like we're a law firm. It's not my favorite order, but, but yeah. I also remember just the, I think it was your reaction, Thomas, to be like, of course, they gave us the same mail. Like, why wouldn't they? Yes. Of course, we're sharing a mailbox now. Correct. So fun fact, when I first started with the Preds, my title was interactive media manager. People asked if I ran the scoreboard. I didn't. My job was the same. My title was just weird. And I was a department of one at the time. So I got my own department of one. I I got my own mailbox. And I, I do not know the administrator who gave me the label, but he or she was, I'm going to assume, just new font or in relatively amount of a hurry. My name was in all caps. So I was the only person who had their full name on the mailbox when you're staring at this wall of mailboxes. And it's just Thomas Willis in all caps. But, you know, <laughs> then you come along and put your name in front of mine. And now we're a law firm. But, yeah, did not, plan on, did, did not plan on starting the podcast with that story. But that's what happens when you do three seasons of a show together. Uh, this is the playoff preview. Because of that, we'll dive into it in this first segment especially. And then in our second segment, we're going to do something we did, I guess, two years ago before the Predators played the Dallas Stars, and that is Insight on the Enemy, a preview of the opposition. Michael Smith of CarolinaHurricanes.com. He's also a co-host of Canescast because it's cool and fun to have team podcasts. He's, he joins us next to specifically talk about the Hurricanes and this eight-game season series between the team. Um, He was just here in Nashville for the final two games between the club. So we'll speak with him after this first segment. In our third segment, we look to Pecorine and his magical night um, in the regular season finale on Monday. We'll play some audio from that and reminisce on what turned into be perhaps one of the most special nights in franchise history 
and none of us really planned it to be so, but that's exactly how it ended up. And of course, your Twitter questions. But Brooks, when we, we when we spoke last, at least on the podcast, the Predators were in position to clinch. We thought it could happen as soon as a Friday night if Tampa Bay was able to be Dallas. They did not. Then you started to think, okay, well, now they've got to do something they haven't done all season long, and that is beat the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes were 6-0-0 against Nashville. One game went to overtime on that Predators' long road trip. Nashville had a 2 nothing lead, lost in overtime. But that's only one point out of a possible 12, um, and the Hurricanes had all of those. So Nashville had to win on – or. At that rate, they had to win to clinch. Um, as we now know in revisionist history, Dallas would lose one more time. They could have clinched that way, but it was something they had not done before, and it's set up for one of the largest regular season games of this season. Yes, you've heard that before, so ding. But Nashville, Carolina on Saturday night, the Predators get it done in perhaps one of their best games of the season when they needed it most to officially clinch, as you said, their seventh straight appearance in the Stanley Cup playoffs. One of the most exciting games, one of the most meaningful games, and they did it on their own. They got the win and they clinched that 3-1 victory. Luke Cunning with a pair of goals. And then what a not only a sigh of relief, but a burst of excitement when Eric Halla pushed it into the empty net. There was a great photo that Eric Halla actually posted on his Instagram story. And it's a shot of him kind of at center ice and he's facing the crowd and you can see the Predators bench in the background. And of course the reaction is great, but John Hines and coaches don't usually show a ton of emotion on the bench. John Hines even has both arms up in the air. And I sent that to you and I said, look at Hines. Mm -hmm. That was very telling to me to say, gosh, like we did it. From For everything that we've gone through this season, the Predators did it, and they found their way into the Stanley Cup playoffs. 14 appearances, the second most postseason appearances among all NHL clubs since 2004, and the Predators' run of seven consecutive appearances tied for the second longest active run in the NHL. I, we've said it, I would say, all three years now on this podcast – but never take clinching the playoffs for granted. You hear those numbers there. Hardly anyone has been better over the last 10 to 15 years or so at making it to the playoffs than the Nashville Predators. Certainly never take it for granted. And the Preds are very excited to be back in, as are we. This one means a little bit more depending on which site you want to reference. March 15th is usually the date you hear tossed out when Nashville first started to turn things around. Playoffstatus.com had Nashville's chances of making the playoffs, in their estimation, at fewer than 2% at the time. Moneypuck.com has gone even lower than that. I've heard even less than a half percent chance. At that point, they were 10 points behind the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, were not playing well at all. Had had multiple long losing streaks. They were below 500 in their record. And I think that's why you see that elation and, in a sense, relief from head coach John Hines. He knows that's why he's here, to help turn this franchise around, to get them back into the playoffs and performing better. And for all the ups and downs, that, and especially downs at the beginning and ups more recently, the the Predators end up making the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think that's why you saw that relief. And, and you heard even Preds associate captain Ryan Ellis touch on that after the win, just saying he's been here for years and basically his entire career he's been going to the playoffs. But this one felt a little bit different. Yeah, I think this one was uh, has a little bit more meaning for the for the guys in the room, for, for management, for the coaches. Um, obviously, uh, a strange year. Um, we had we've had our ups and downs, and uh, tough start to the year. Kind of looking on the outside, looking in, and 
Um, the guys, the coaches, management, everyone, we still believed and we, uh, we buried our heads and went to work and, um, you know, to, to do it against the, the team that we're potentially playing and uh, I think we are playing. Um, it's, uh, it, and I think they're first in the NHL too, so it, uh, it means a lot to this group. Coach Hines also had some interesting comments after the win, as you said, Brooks, touching on just what this clinching at that time, just setting up their playoff series meant. Well, I think one, the fact that Hines had mentioned that we didn't count on someone else to lose or get in, right? The Predators won their way into the playoffs. You mentioned it. Dallas ended up losing on that Sunday night. So even if the Preds would have lost on Saturday, they still would have clinched. But I think that means something to win your game to get in as opposed to waiting for someone else to help you out a little bit. That certainly means something. And then I also appreciated what Hines had to say uh, later in his presser after that game on Saturday, just giving credit to the players. He says, quote, we can always talk about competitive effort and structure and attention to detail and to the players credit. They've done it. We won because we believe in the guys that we have and we feel like we've got a really good hockey team, but they're the guys that have to commit to it. All the credit goes to those guys for the commitment level and the dedication level that they've had throughout this process. And then Brooks, you put it in the rundown. This is where the fun begins. And the other reason for that win being so significant was how are you supposed to go into a playoff series with any level of confidence, having just lost to a team seven times, only clinch your playoff spot because another team lost, and then you would have gone into game 56, the final meeting, the eighth and final meeting between the two teams, and it wouldn't have meant anything either, right? So even if you had won, you would have been like, okay, well, basically when we face Carolina the seven first seven times, they beat us every time. So I, I think, even from my perspective, and I would imagine from yours, it's certainly opened the door to be like, okay, yes, there, we've seen it. There is an ability of Nashville to beat Carolina. There is a possibility for them to pull, no question, what would be an upset in this first-round series. But you start to see even more similarities than you've seen some in, in years past. And um, I, I touched on this at the very beginning of the show, but actually just a few hours before we began recording, we officially got the playoff schedule. So when in doubt, if the Preds aren't playing on a night, they're going to play the next one. So they, we will be alternating every other day once it begins on Monday evening. The Predators, as the lower seed, will start on the road. So Monday, May 17th at 7 o'clock Central Time. Then Wednesday, May 19th. Then Friday and Sunday back in Nashville. The Sunday time uh, is still not confirmed as we record. Potentially could be an afternoon game there. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, that's five, six, and seven, that's if necessary, depending on how the series goes. And so I don't want this segment to turn into 2017 comparison and all of that because I think it's just not good journalism or not good podcasting to be like, well, what, you know what, maybe it could be like this. I mean, I think our listeners and the two of us would grow tired of trying to spin that narrative, but Sure. Are there some similarities? Of course. I think nobody picked Nashville to beat Chicago, which was the number one seed in the conference that year. And I think the other similarity I see is the Predators are finally getting healthy when it matters most. If you remember down the stretch run in 2017, they had not had P.K. Subban for about half of the year. He started to come back. You started to see, oh, you know, the advanced analytics are looking a little bit better on this team. Um, And then, Brooks, we talked about it. March 15th, you've got since then, the Predators had, what, 27 games left, and they won 20 of them. And so they've been able to really turn it around in that perspective. So 
I would expect that, that Nashville will have their essentially full complement of their roster available to them um, when it comes to game one. So we have not seen Victor Arvidsson, for example, recently, but seems like after a week off that he would be ready to be back. And now it comes to choosing the right players to play in the manner that you want to. And we've touched on this in, in weeks past. My, For example, my mindset has changed on the herd line. Um, now that whole compliment is available as well with Matthew Olivier returning in the final game of the season. But whether the skill level is off or not compared to a very top team in Carolina, I think you've got to put Colton Sissons, Tanner Janot, and Yakov Trenin on the ice for game one and, and let them help set the tone. And I think you see Nashville, as we've heard for different coaches over the years, truly focus on themselves, the way that they want to play. I think they will still stick to the narrative of coming ready to work, coming ready to commit, really going all out on a hard four check and trying to grind out defensively. You, you saw that especially on Saturday. The Predators changed what they were doing in the neutral zone a little bit. They were not allowing long stretch passes or breakaway opportunities for a high up-tempo team like the Carolina Hurricanes are. And it it worked. It absolutely worked. I mean, it was um, one nothing for such a long portion of that game. And then the Carolina Hurricanes make it 2-1 to one before Eric Halla ices it with the empty netter. But that's how Nashville has to win. That's how they'll want to win. And I think they'll really especially want to, this is not profound by any means, set the tone in game one. And I think certainly when you're going on the road like that, when you start to look at years past, stealing game one just becomes absolutely huge if you're able to just whatever whatever way that comes. If UC Saros needs to make 65 saves and you need to win 2-1 to one in game one, awesome. You take it and then you reevaluate and plan on having what you had in these last two games at home to carry you over the hump in games three and four. For sure. And I think we're going to see, as you said, the Predators are seem to be pretty hopeful that they can be relatively healthy come game one and have just about everybody who they would want in there to be in there. So I think that we'll see about as close to an ideal lineup as we've seen all season long for game one in Carolina. And then depending on how that goes, if guys get hurt or if you want to switch things up, we've got to mention the depth that was on display in those last two games. So the three, one win on Saturday night, once that playoff spot was clinched, of course, and you see teams do this every year. Okay. You're going to rest some of your top players, no point in throwing them out there in a game that really doesn't mean anything in the standings. There were 11 players who played on Saturday night for the predators over half the roster that played on Saturday night did not play on Monday. And on Monday, they beat the Carolina Hurricanes five to nothing. Now, that game didn't mean anything for Carolina either. They rested some players. So it's not like you're getting the full complement of Carolina Hurricanes. But to show that every player in the Nashville lineup on the Nashville roster, which, by the way, also to me, it's insane that you can scratch 11 players who played the night before and the other guys who come in. All of them had played for the Predators that season, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't like they recalled half their team from from the American Hockey League or anything like that. Just the amount of guys that Nashville has needed to use over the course of this season, one, is a crazy number. And then just the fact that everybody got in and it was used almost as an audition of sorts. John Hines said that before that game on Monday. He said, we told the players who were coming in, our game one lineup is not set yet. And this is your time. If you didn't get that chance on Saturday night, Here's your time to make an impression and say, hey, you know what? I should be in there for game one. So what a what a good problem to have for the Nashville Predators is deciding, okay, you, you have a pretty good idea for the most part 
But I think there are a couple of question marks. Will someone who played on Saturday that didn't play on Monday or reverse that, will they be in there for game one? There's still some question marks to be made. And it's, again, a great problem to have. You've got so many players who have shown that they are capable of having a positive impact in this lineup. Let's discuss this. Give me your pathway to victory for both teams, specifically Nashville, of course. But what needs to happen for them to be able to take home this playoff series and pull the upset? Conversely, how to, what's the most likely pathway to victory for Carolina? Well, Nashville's just got to find a way to shut down some of Carolina's top players. And you'll hear Michael Smith discuss this coming up. But guys like Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Svechnikov and Vincent Trocek and Jordan Stahl and Dougie Hamilton on the back end, Carolina can put the puck in the net. And in the games that didn't go well for the Predators earlier this season against Carolina, they can be in a lot of ways. But I think you've got to find a way to shut down those bigger players for Carolina. And it starts by, one, getting good goaltending, which UC Soros has provided. And we certainly expect to see him in game one, at least to start. And two, making some better decisions in your own end, being smarter with the puck. And that's something that we know John Hines has preached. He's he's a very detail-oriented coach, and he wants things to be played very precisely in all areas of the ice. So I think for Carolina, if the Predators are able to shut down those guys, then that's going to be a little bit of an issue for them. And for the Predators, I think not only you've got to get scoring from the guys that you expect it from, but you've also got to put that depth on display and say, okay, if tonight isn't the first line's night, what's the second line going to do? What's the third line going to do? Who's going to chip in from the blue line on occasion? Uh, You've really got to have that balance. The Predators were one of the more offensively balanced teams in the NHL this season, 17 players with at least 10 points. That is going to need to be on display for sure. And I think it's all going to come down again, to goaltending. We've seen, how many times have we seen a team with a hot goaltender who isn't supposed to do anything in the playoffs make it all the way to at least the third or fourth round? And, you know, the way that UC Saros has been playing, if there's anyone who's capable of stealing a game or two, it's him right now. And uh, that is certainly something that could come into Nashville's favor as well. Agreed. I, I don't think there's a world in which UC Soros doesn't have his best six or seven game stretch of his career and the Predators win this playoff series. That That is a required element and, and catalyst in the mixture. And I think you hit on another good point as well, which is the balance, specifically from the defensive side of it. I'm curious to see what the defensive pairs are for Nashville now that more and more players are healthy. For example, Dante Fabro just returning at the tail end of the season. You've got Ben Harper asserting himself more frequently. Matt Benning had a good game recently to finish. So I think, number one, as the road team and knowing that the higher seed at home in Carolina is going to be able to set the matchups more frequently and be able to take advantage of you really need to be able to rely on all three of your defensive pairs more than normal. Yes, it's the playoffs, and maybe you ride them a little bit harder. You have a Yossi Ellis and an Ekholm carry out more than they would be in the regular season. But if you have a big liability on the third defensive pairing, that's exactly what the Carolina Hurricanes' speed and offensive skill is going to be able to take advantage of. So I think you need that balance and that commitment on the defensive side. And then, as I said, on Saturday's win, if you're able to mixed up some kind of um, success or game plan to find that, 
you're going to need your forwards and then your defensemen backing them up, especially in the neutral zone, but even starting in the offensive zone when the Hurricanes are starting to back up that support. You need one, two, even three guys in the right position. You need to create those layers because, as you mentioned it, Brooks, and the early losses to the Hurricanes, in the offensive zone, it just felt like the Hurricanes were a different level of NHL team than the Predators were, the way they'd be able to cycle around and around in the offensive zone and wear them down. So I think if you're Nashville, it's going to be a boring plan for success. It's not going to be an exciting plan, but you're going to have to layer yourself defensively, have that commitment of every single time when we're on defense and when we're in transition, I'm going to be in the right spot. I know where I need to be. And then just get the you know the goals, the timely chipped in offense when you can. Um, another potential advantage I see for Carolina is special teams, especially on the power play. So Nashville's going to need to have better results and goals come from their man advantage there because Carolina is just they're going to get theirs. They have enough skill that they're going to be able to do that. So if you're Nashville, you need to be able to do a better job of matching them and ideally um, exceeding them in that level of production. I don't think you're going to get two shorthanded goals every time like you did on Monday in game 56. Um, so, yes, I think the Predators are certainly at least appear to be more in this series, more of a viable and realistic opponent, a potential winner even than we thought maybe even just a week or two ago. Um, but, yes, Carolina the favorite. And so because of that, as Nashville, you have to know how you have to play to be able to get it, as you said, you say, Saros, the number one reason um, for sure as we get ready for game one on Monday night. And the beauty of the Stanley Cup playoffs, literally anything can happen. Anything can happen. Yes. That's what makes this time of year so exciting is that one seed versus a four seed, one seed versus an eight seed, doesn't matter. Not at all. Not in the slightest. And so that's what you've got to look toward. And these Nashville Predators, they're feeling pretty good about themselves right now. Only time will tell and we'll see what happens in game one and then go from there. Uh, but there's reason for Nashville to be more confident than they ever have been over the past four months right now. We'll see where it leads. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think that's the reason that we can call Michael Smith a friend of show. Michael Smith of CarolineHurricanes.com and their official podcast joins us next on the Preds Official Podcast presented by Two Rivers Forward on ESPN 1025. The game. Hi, I'm Matt Duchesne, and most of you know I'm a husband, father, proud Nashville Predator, and a huge music fan. But what you might not know is that I'm also a total Ford guy, and my dealership is Two Rivers Ford. I chose Two Rivers because they're honest, upfront, and easy to do business with. They also have non-commissioned salespeople, which is great. I figured when a local business has been around for almost four decades, they must be doing something right, eh? So if you're ready for a new Ford, definitely go see my friends at Two Rivers Ford. Predators official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 102.5 The Game and streaming right now on the Game Nashville app. Back for our second segment, Brooks and I are joined by Michael Smith, the senior editor for the Carolina Hurricanes, the co-host of the Canes cast, an all-around good guy. His Twitter handle is at MSSmithCanes. Brooks and I so frequently call him just Michael Smith Canes as if his last name is Canes and his middle name Smith that I almost said his handle was Michael Smith Canes. It's not. It's at M Smith Canes, but he joins us now. Michael, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me, boys. I could have just uh, kept jamming to some Hootie and the Blowfish. Love that introduction, by the way. Love it. Very nicely done. 100%. We could have done the same. Unfortunately, producer Max legally cannot allow us to do that. So we got a snippet and now we turn it over to you. An interview that we've 
truly talked about for years because you have been in the podcasting world from a NHL team perspective. I mean, as long as Brooks and I have, and you know, we've always been this weird, like southeastern brethren, different conferences. Sometimes our prospects get together. We call it the Biscuit Bowl. But here we are, the first ever playoff series. The next time this happens, it's should be the Stanley Cup final if we've returned to what we have been structured in years past. So catch us up. I know we've seen you guys eight times, but the story of the season for the Carolina Hurricanes a bit different than what Nashville went through uh, in this 2020-21 season. Yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, one, it's been a lot of fun, this newly formed uh, Central Division, uh, you know, facing some some different faces that the, the Carolina Hurricanes don't usually see, the Nashville Predators, the Dallas Stars, the Chicago Blackhawks teams that typically the Hurricanes only see uh, twice a season. And then, you know, rekindling some old rivalries uh, with a couple of Florida teams, some old Southeast Division rivalries. Um, I've always said I think it would be great if if Nashville and Carolina could be in the same division. And selfishly, obviously, from a travel standpoint, that would be great as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been, you know, it's been a, a, a really interesting season. And from an on-ice perspective for the Carolina Hurricanes, it's been one of their best seasons in, in franchise history. Uh, when you look at uh, just how I think dominant the Hurricanes were all season long, 36 wins and 56 games. Uh, atop the central division uh they'll finish third uh, in the nhl in terms of record um and really just from from start to finish there weren't uh there weren't any lulls uh one of the 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 biggest strengths of this canes team all season long has been their resiliency and their ability to bounce back from a loss they only lost uh consecutive games in regulation twice uh once to the defending stanley cup champion tampa bay lightning and of course, then the Nashville Predators uh, at the season's end. So their ability to really park uh, a, a regulation loss uh, and bounce back and uh, and oftentimes bounce back with uh, a big winning streak or a big point streak uh, has really been one of the Hurricanes' biggest strengths this season. Michael, you guys as a team seem to have been on that rise for at least the last little bit and, and of course, had a good showing uh, in the playoffs a couple of years ago and the bubble as well last summer. Did you envision this? Was this success expected or pleasantly surprised in any way as well? I think for, uh, you know, a lot of people here in Raleigh, uh, this was, wasn't really surprising what the Hurricanes were able to do this season, maybe to the extent that, um, that one, you know, we were able to get through the season without any huge, uh, really, uh, hiccups on this end, you know, whether it's, uh, on or off ice, especially this season with, uh, with COVID-19. Um, but in terms of the, the on ice success, I think, uh, you know, this level of play, um, and the way the hurricanes have been tracking these last couple of years, really ever since Rod Brindamore took over as head coach, um, it's not surprising to see the success, uh, that the Hurricanes had the the work ethic uh, for this club is um, is really something that I think is unmatched around the league. And then the talent level too has now kind of fight, finally caught up to a point where um, where the Hurricanes are able to um, you know have depth scoring. Uh, they're able to get good goaltending night in and night out. Their blue line is one of the best and, and deepest in the National Hockey League. So you finally kind of have everything coming together. Um, and in this 56-game season, uh, you saw how successful the Hurricanes were able to be. And now, now the real work begins, though. Now the Hurricanes have to go out and prove uh, you know, why they were one of the best teams in the regular season. I think for years we've heard 
Look at the analytics on the Hurricanes. Look, they're an up-and-coming team. They, they've got all of these things. They're fun. They're fast. And, and I think, especially from more of a Western Conference perspective like Brooks and I have, but even the NHL as a whole, we've gotten to know, wow, this Sebastian Ajo kid, like, he is a first-line center. Like we've, we've started to learn that. We, we saw the highlights of Andre Svechnikov. But even, even though this, there was an eight-game season series, I mean, speak to our listeners just the names and the, you know, the foundational pieces of this team um, as it's gotten a lot better. And, and I think maybe even I'll throw in an extra question while I'm at it. One of those storylines we've also have always heard is, well, but do the Hurricanes have good enough goaltending? Like, you know, you hear just that question over and over again. But what, in your perspective, is the makeup of this team and has led it to have such a successful season this year? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the question of goaltending, and that was kind of the prevailing question uh, during the offseason was, will the Hurricanes goaltending be good enough to to get them over the edge? Um For me, that wasn't a huge concern coming into the season. My concern was more the secondary scoring and can guys like Nino Niederreiter, like Jordan Stahl, like even Vincent Trocek get back uh, to some of the career years, the career numbers that they were putting up, uh, you know, a few seasons before. Um, And and luckily for the Hurricanes, uh, they have, you know, when you look at a guy like Vincent Trocek, who's um, really solidified the Hurricanes lineup down the middle of the ice, the season that he had uh, almost getting to the 20 goal mark. He was over 40 points. Um, he had a really good season and he was healthy for most of it too. And I think that was a big reason why uh, he had success. Jordan Stahl um, had one of his uh, most prolific uh, seasons in terms of offensive numbers uh, in recent history. And that was good news for the Hurricanes offense, because then, you know, between Ajo, between Trocek, between Stahl, the Hurricanes were able to throw three lines over the boards uh, that were dangerous offensively. Uh, and then you have a guy like Nino Niederreiter who, uh, really was one of the difference makers when the hurricanes acquired him, um, you know, down the stretch of that, uh, 2018, 19 season, when they finally got back to the playoffs, Niederreiter was a huge part of that. And, uh, you know, he'll be the first to tell you his 1920 season was not great. And so that was a big question for him. Can he get back to that elite goal scoring touch, uh, that he had, you know, especially down the stretch in that season. And, and he was able to do that. He reached 20 goals, um, again, which is, um, you know, in a 56 game season is, is a pretty big accomplishment. It's about almost equal to 30 goals in a, in a normal 82 game season. Uh, so the hurricanes, you know, from a, from a depth perspective, got contributions from up and down the lineup. And then that question of goaltending, um, you know, whether it's Peter Mrazek, whether it's Alex Nedeljkovic in his rookie season or James Reimer, they all seem to um, to to get the stat that mattered, and that's the W. Uh, but then when you look at their goals against, their save percentage, they're all up near the top of the league. Alex Nedeljkovic, you know, among goaltenders who have uh, played at least 20 games this season, tops in the league in goals against, tops in the league in save percentage. So um, really from top to bottom, this this Hurricanes team is, uh, is built well. Uh, they're deep, and they're getting contributions from everybody. Let me interject quickly. Who do you think starts in net game one? I'm curious. Is that decided or is it close enough that it is still a question mark? I think it's close enough where it is still a question mark. Um, I do think the Hurricanes have it narrowed down to a couple goaltenders because they do have three healthy right now in Mrazek, Nedeljkovic, and Reimer. But I think the the focus now is on Peter Mrazek and Alex Nedeljkovic. Uh, I, I'm not sure at this point yet who's going to start game one. I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see both goaltenders in the series at some point. It's, you know, the Hurricanes have kind of gone back and forth all season long. Uh, But if one of those guys gets hot, uh, they're probably going to ride him. 
Very interesting. We're talking to our friend and colleague, Michael Smith of CarolinaHurricanes.com and co-host of the Canes cast. And Michael, I had a chance to talk with you the other day and and we've mentioned it on this program as well. Everybody knows there's going to be an X factor, right? There's going to be a guy or a line or a D pair that you know has a chance, but maybe you don't expect kind of that unsung hero as we always see in the playoffs. We've talked about earlier in this show, maybe some Nashville potential, but on the Carolina side, maybe a name or a line or someone who isn't in that top six that we're not thinking of. Anybody come to mind like that for you? Well, I think someone like Jordan Stahl um, could be that guy, especially on the offensive side of the puck, because, uh, you know, we all know how good he is defensively. He's one of the top defensive centers in the National Hockey League. Um, But in Pittsburgh, you saw just how talented he was offensively. And, you know, though his numbers the last couple of seasons on the offensive side haven't been, uh, you know, at the level they were in Pittsburgh earlier in his career, he really, I think, rediscovered um, that form this season. He had 16 goals. He had 22 assists. Um, it's the, the type of season he had when you ask people, well, what's different about Jordan Stahl this season? They'll tell you nothing's really much different at all. He's the same guy. He plays uh, the game the same way every night. He plays a heavy game. He plays a tough game. He makes it difficult on the opposition because he's just such a big man. He takes up a lot of space, possesses the puck really well. But if he can continue, uh, you know, with that offensive flair that he rediscovered this season, uh, that's going to be a huge boost for the Hurricanes because, again, they're going to be able to roll over uh, three good lines that are going to have a chance to put the puck in the net. And, you know, the, don't forget the fourth line as well with with a guy perhaps like Stephen Lorenz uh, centering Jordan Martinook and Brock McGinn. That's a pretty good fourth line um, that the Hurricanes would like to have, especially with those two wingers who are who are coming back from injury. So. I look to a guy like Jordan Stahl and, you know, I know he's the captain, but, um, you know, offensively, if he can keep putting up those numbers and and keep contributing uh, depth scoring, the Hurricanes will be in a good spot. We're about 11 minutes into this conversation is perhaps the longest in this podcast history. We haven't specifically talked about the Preds. So let's let's transition a little bit in the sense we now know game one will come Monday night at PNC Arena, followed shortly by game two on Wednesday evening. Weird season series. Yes, eight times these teams met, at least for Nashville, the third game of the season. We're going to meet again. That ended up, at least from a COVID perspective, being the only game that was postponed for Nashville. They later had some snowstorm issues in Dallas. But, I mean, especially for the Predators, two months ago there was that one team, and now there's this other team, and it's just made a weird season series. We closed the season series between the two teams, but one of the games really mattered. One of them really didn't. So what does that even factor in? I'd love to hear your perspective on Nashville and, and how you think they match up with Carolina and what you're looking forward to in this playoff series. It has, or it was, I guess, a, a very interesting uh, regular season series. And I do wonder how much from those eight games will carry over. I think from a Nashville perspective, um, especially from those last two games um, and just how, especially in that in game 56 was really the one game all season that the hurricanes were not in. Um, it was a pretty, I think uh, f- from start to finish a, pr- a pretty dominant performance for Nashville. And I do wonder, even though, you know, that game and, and game one are separated by a week, 
you know, will there be any carryover? And perhaps there will be some momentum that Nashville can take from that game uh, into game one. Uh, aside from that, I, I'm not really sure, you know, what else uh, from the season series might carry over into the playoff series. I do think having a week between the games uh, benefits the Hurricanes just from the standpoint that um, they're able to reset and kind of ramp the energy back up, refocus, um, you know, because especially after those last two games, having the division already clinched, um, I do think there was a bit of a natural tendency to maybe let off the gas. So the ability in the next week to to put the foot back on the gas, to rest up some injured guys, I'm sure Nashville, um, the Predators are kind of in the same boat, wanting to get some people healthy and just refocus for, for this push that, that matters. This is what, um, this is what everybody plays for, right? And both teams, uh, despite how successful the Hurricanes regular season was, despite how, you know, Nashville had to fight in the second half of the season to, to surge up the standings. Both teams start the the playoffs at, at at zero and zero. So um I think what we have in store for us is is going to be a pretty entertaining playoff series. I think these two teams five on five, um, you know, in terms of matching up, match up pretty well. I think special teams uh, might end up being the difference in the series as it so often is night after night uh, in hockey as, as it is usually. Um, but I think we're in for an entertaining series. And I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, hopefully this, um, this leads to more of a rivalry between two teams who uh, pretty geographically similar. I think fan bases are, are similarly passionate in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, I've long stumped for a, a rivalry between these two teams and no better way to, to stoke those fires than a, than a playoff series. I was going to say it's it's coming. It's here now. Yep. If whether ready or not, here it comes. I only have, I don't know about Thomas. I only have one more for you, and that's uh, Have you ever seen a civilian look more like your star defenseman Dougie Hamilton than Thomas Willis does? <laughs> they do look very similar, and there's that picture too, right? You yes. guys got a picture together, yeah. yeah so back when he's with the is. Flames, but yes, there is evidence we are in fact different people. But there's some similarities there, yeah. Right. You've been seen uh, separately in the same room. So we have at least confirmed they are different people, <laughs> but they might be distantly related. Maybe we need to do a, a 23andMe just to make sure. <laughs> it's, you know, it's only right at this point. Uh, I do actually have one more for you. Um, I, I did want to ask you, you mentioned, let, make, let me make sure I have my timeline right here, but the Carolina Hurricanes win the Stanley Cup in 2006, a name we're very familiar with. Peter Laviolette, of course, was head coach. And then I think that's when the playoff drought began after that. And then it was since then when Rod Brindamore stepped in as a head coach, you're talking about him earlier. He's been there for three years. He's really asked a lot of his team, be hardworking, be mentally prepared. I just, I see a lot of similarities between that with what head coach John Hines in about his 18 months or so has said of Nashville. Like I, I don't want to get outworked. I, I want to be prepared. How, how have you seen, I mean, specifically for Brindamore, of course, but for those two coaches, how have they maybe reset these franchises after past success to now get back into the playoffs and, you know, be hardworking and be prepared for this playoff series. Well, I think when you look at a guy like Rod Brindamore, he is without a doubt, the single most important person to the success of this franchise. Um, whether it's been him as a player leading the, the hurricanes to a Stanley cup and a captain then uh, as well, or as a head coach, he's been involved in almost 95% of this team's playoff games. Um, and so there's kind of that common line of, okay, you know, he, when he was made captain, uh, before that 0506 season, you saw the culture change when he was named head coach, um, you know, heading into that 1819 season, 
you saw again another shift uh, in culture. And I know that's kind of it's a nebulous thing to talk about culture and um but he I think raised the expectation that that what the hurricanes were doing wasn't good enough. Just simply qualifying for the playoffs isn't good enough. You can't have the mindset of okay, we're just we're going to qualify for the playoffs and see what happens. You have to have the mindset that you're going to win every night, even if you're not going to. No team is going to, you know, you saw it this year. No team went 56 and zero. But to have that mindset of, okay, we can win every single game, every single night, uh, just instills um, confidence and a winning culture in the locker room. And when you look at what Brendan Moore's done since 2018, um, it's, it's, it's really been a masterful job behind the bench. Um, and, you know, I look to a guy like John Hines too, and, and with the Nashville Predators and, um, you know, what he was able to do with this team to really rally them, um, in the second half of the season, it, it's kind of similar to, to what Brendan Moore was able to do with the Hurricanes in the second half of that 18, 19 season. Uh, on January 1st, the Hurricanes were, were basically at the bottom of the NHL standings. And in the second half of the season, they were able to surge into a playoff spot in the Eastern conference, they make a run to the Eastern conference final. Uh, let's hope, uh, you know, history doesn't peak, repeat with Nashville doing that, at least from selfishly <laughs> from a hurricane's mm-hmm. perspective. But um, you know, there are some similarities in how the coach uh, the head coach was able to rally the team. And um, you know, you look at a team like the predators and, and seeing what they were able to do in the second half of the season. Uh, and I think it sets up nicely for what should be a, a very competitive playoff series. All right, we'll let you go on this. I'll remind our listeners, you work for the Carolina Hurricanes. What's your series prediction? Let's hear it. Uh, I'm going to say Hurricanes in five. Um, wow. It's I, I know that might be a little <laughs> aggressive. Um, I do look forward to the atmosphere in Nashville come games three and four because uh, games 55 and 56 of the regular season were certainly some of the most um, – exhilarate is some of the most exhilarating hockey that that i've seen in the last what year and a half i guess Mm -hmm. um so i think uh that could be a a huge advantage for the preds uh in this series but uh yeah i you know i do know who signs my checks i'm gonna say canes in five all right all right preds fans you heard him at m smith canes no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding (laughs) totally fair uh thanks for doing this we appreciate it thanks for having me boys up next, Monday was most certainly Pecorine night. What a memorable evening it was. We'll discuss it next on the Bread's Official Podcast, presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 1025, The Game. You're the best. No doubt which song we bring back to the Bread's Official Podcast, presented by Two Rivers Ford, for this segment on ESPN 1025, The Game, of course. Well, also no debate because Brooks never lets me debate which song we come back from break with, but simply the best place as we talk about Predators goaltender, Predators legend, Pecorine. I would agree with head coach John Hines in his sentiment that he's the best player to ever wear a Preds jersey, that he'll have his jersey retired promptly when he is ready to retire into the rafters of Bridgeton Arena. That's where his jersey will hang. Brooks, we can't say for sure, and that's what makes this conversation a little interesting, that that's Monday night's win was Pecorino's final start of the regular season, at least in his career. He does have his contract expiring after this year. He is not. He said after the game, you know, no concrete plans yet. But if this were to be it for that evening, if that was the evening that sends him off, boy, you couldn't have written it better. I will readily admit I did not think that the Predators would probably even win that game, let alone get a five nothing shutout, which does very good for my 
analytics part of my brain that an even 60 career shutouts now for Pecorini to be 19th all-time in the NHL, 369 wins to also be 19th all-time in league history tied with Tom Barrasso. Um, you were there and had a closer view than many of us did for such an organic and just natural way for that game to play out, but predominantly the celebration afterwards. What was it like? I have to imagine of the seven or so thousand people that were there, it's going to be another one of those evenings where it's going to feel like 35,000 people were there or something like that as the years go by. Yeah, I was there to see what was truly a special night. Well, exactly. It it couldn't have gone much better. As you said, I think the best part of the night was that everything happened organically and, and Pekka was certainly taken by surprise. He, he mentions that he was emotional throughout the entire day and it just grew and grew and grew. And then I think, you know, one, I'll readily admit it was kind of nice to drive to the rink and not really have any nerves for the night because you knew the Preds had clinched their spot. The game really didn't mean anything as far as the standings were concerned. But then as the game goes along and you reach the second period and he hasn't allowed a goal and you reach the third period and he hasn't allowed the goal, it ended up being one of the more stressful games of the season, <laughs> I think, just because of the way that it was playing out. But the great athletes in a moment like that seem to have a way to rise to the occasion or something of that nature like we saw on Monday night will happen. And as we said, we don't know for sure what is next for Pecorino. He doesn't even know, as he readily admitted after the game. But if that was the way that it ends, he said it was a pretty cool way to go out. Here's what he had to say uh, immediately following one of the more memorable nights in his career. Overwhelming, I, I guess the right word. Very special. Um you know, I I don't know if I can find the right word. How you know how much I appreciate our fans, uh, my relationship with the fans, this city. Uh, you know, it means the world to me, and uh, they really. I I you know, I never wanted to be about me. Uh, this team is going to the playoffs, and we have a you know big things ahead. But uh, you know, I truly, truly sp- uh, appreciate what happened tonight, and. Uh, it goes very high on my on, on my personal list. You know my experiences in in hockey. Um, you know I was I was emotional all day. Uh, my fiance and my 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 son was in the. You know even in the warm ups they were on the class and uh, you know I, I had a hard time keeping it together and um, but again and then. During the game, same thing with the with the fans' reactions and all the signs and things like that. Um, really, really appreciate it. I, I, you know, love this city and love the fans. So I, I mean, it was very, very special. For those who don't know, I had a hard time keeping it together. That's guy code for at least for Pecorino. He cried profusely in, in the warmups when he saw his son there on the glass. There's a really <laughs> A uh, touching photo that the best team photographer of all time, John Russell, was able to capture. Um, and then he mentioned the fans, too. There was a standing ovation, which has made its triumphant return, I think specifically on Saturday evening, for the playoff clinching win. It returned on Monday night. Um, and uh, watching on the broadcast, you were able to see they zoomed in for the entire, I guess, 90 seconds to two-minute break of just Rene's eyes scanning the crowd, just saying, you know, thank you, and just the emotions that he was having. And this is still in the game. There's still, whatever, mm-hmm. 10 or so minutes left in the contest. Uh, that, that that was truly special. And for someone who's 
um, unbelievably biased and took the plunge a couple of years ago, got a Pecorine jersey, got it autographed, got it framed as like, you know, this is something that I, I will cherish for a long time. I am not a sports memorabilia person at all. I think one of the only Preds memorabilia things I have uh, is that jersey. I cannot believe that he won't sign a one-year deal um, next year in return. Um, but but like you said, I would echo the sentiment that if that were to be it, at least especially in the regular season, you couldn't write it much better than that. I was just where I happened to be positioned during the game and after the game, of course, I was actually standing right next to Predators GM David Poyle. And just to kind of take a couple glances over to his reaction, I mean, he was certainly standing up and applauding for most of the post-game celebration as well. And me being the content producer and creator and poster that I am from time to time certainly was taking a couple of videos and a couple of pictures, but I tried to take it in just as much as I could organically and naturally uh, to, to really just appreciate the scope of the moment. And Pekka said it was Brad Richardson who told him to take the lap. Uh, Pekka's like, I tried to get off the ice. Like, let's go boys. They were like, no, 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 this is your moment. You need to to take it and really embrace what is happening here. And uh, you know, Again, you, you see moments like that. And I think that's one of the reasons why we love sports and why we watch sports is for moments like that. And you've seen athletes do it in the past, uh, but to experience it in person is is something that I'll never forget. So, um, again, we're ridiculously biased. We, we love Pex and the person that he is and the player that he is. You, you just could never hope to meet a nicer guy. And uh, he deserved every single second every single piece of applause, every cheer and uh, every tear that was shed on Monday night, it was all for him. And, and just what a, what a cool moment to be a part of certainly one of the more uh, emotional moments and happy moments, I would say in franchise history, no doubt. Locally, at least I think you hear names like Eddie George and, and Steve McNair for the Tennessee Titans, the NFL franchise. Those are just names that you will, perhaps always, but at least for the decades since they've even stopped playing, that you'll always you know, associate them with the franchise. I think Pecorino is that, and if not even more so. I mean, to have been around for more than 15 years, to take them to the Stanley Cup final, I mean, uh, until this national team wins the Stanley Cup, and maybe even then, I just I think you will always associate Pecorino with the Nashville Predators for years and years to come, whether he's, whether he's in this country or back home in Finland or whatever he's doing. Um, and especially when once number 35 hangs in the Bridgestone Arena rafters. So what a night, what a guy. Um, I don't think you get one without the other. If he wasn't one of the best people, Matt Duchesne saying this, Pecorino could not be an athlete, could not could have zero wins, could be, could be terrible at sports, and he would still be a phenomenal person. But you get both in the package with Pecorino. So with that, what an evening it was. Let's wrap up this segment, come back for our final one where we answer your Twitter questions. On the POP, the Preds official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 1025 The Game. Preds official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 1025 The Game. For more about the show, to rate, subscribe, to listen to past episodes, to listen to this episode again because you loved it so much, nationalpredators.com slash podcast. For Brooks Pratton, I'm Thomas Willis. The two of us of NashvillePredators.com, producer Max, bringing down new music from Coldplay as we conclude here on our fourth segment. Brooks, as always, we've spoken too long in our first three, so we'll get right into the fan Twitter questions. 
Uh, use hashtag Preds podcast to get in on the show. Several of you did. We've selected three of them to touch on quickly in this segment. I'd be remiss, however, if I did not mention nationalverse.com slash tickets, single game playoff tickets. They are on sale now. There, There's no reason for you not to be there for games three and four, potentially game six. nationalverse.com slash tickets. Get your playoff tickets. Brooks, Sue's Gator, first for you. What was your most memorable experience with Pecorine professionally and personally? Well, what a great question. And we could devote an entire podcast to this topic, I think. But Easily. professionally, I think just the day-to-day, honestly, of, of talking to him in the locker room or on the Zoom calls as we do these days, he's always been one of my favorite quotes of anyone on this team. But he, he's just so thoughtful in his answers and is really, truly, seemingly appreciative of us folks who are trying to ask him questions and maybe pester him at times where he'd rather not have to speak to the media. So he, he's just the nicest, most humble, down-to-earth guy in those situations. And I also think, still somewhat professionally, but also a bit personally, uh, when I had the chance to be out with him in Las Vegas when he won the Vezina Trophy in 2018. And of course, everything happens on stage, but then you go behind the scenes and uh, he takes a bunch of pictures with family um, and members of the Predators who were there. David Poyle, his agent, Jay Grossman was there. Um, but just, of course, got the chance to interview him one-on-one after that moment, which, which was a great moment for me personally. And then I uh, was able to take a picture with him as well with the Vezina Trophy. And that's something that I'll always cherish. You know, we we go through so much of what we do in in a role like this is we get to do some really cool stuff, but oftentimes we're going so fast and we're just trying to get things done that we don't really stop and and pause to maybe take a photo with someone or make a memory. And so Mm -hmm. I will always really cherish that photo that I have with Pex uh, right after he won the Vezina trophy that that's probably top of the list for me. I'll tell three very quick stories that just since I asked the question have come to mind. So I'm sure with greater research, like you said, there's a thousand of them that could be told, but so often it's just those moments in the locker room, especially when the recorders are put away that you're just enjoying an extra conversation or, or a couple moments um, that you know can just create something that's a bit memorable. Number one, I'd say Pecorino is probably a little got more of a sense of humor than you might than you might see that always comes out, and you might see that a little bit more in moments like that. Um, the first that I'll say is for what proves to be the bane of our existence sometimes. NHL players are so nice; you're trying to learn how to properly pronounce their name, and they're like, "Yeah, that's fine." Or is it like this? And like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You're like, I just said it two completely different ways. If somebody said my name like that, I would not be accepting of it. So I think I technically was talking to Juice, but but Pex was there. And I was like, you know, hey, like, are we saying your name right? Like, how, how is it? And he was like, well, it's only been 10 years. And now you're asking me, you know, how to say my name a little bit. And so you are supposed to roll the R a little bit more. So it's really like more like Pecarine. And uh, and and you actually caught this as well, but he was like visualizing. I think Paul McCann like introducing his name a little bit and just saying that that wouldn't work very well. And he was like Pecorine, and, and I was like, how funny! We've heard it, you know, for all these years that one way. So that was funny. A second one was also involving the Finns. Uh, I don't remember the European country, but there is one that when you get a speeding ticket, or at least at the time, it is based relative on your income. So if you are an NHL player 
flying in this European country over a speed limit and you make millions of dollars, I mean, you can walk away with a speeding violation of hundreds and thousands, I mean, not hundreds of thousands, but either, I mean, thousands of dollars based on your salary. And so someone was asking uh, Mikhail Granlin, like, you know, would Pecorine ever get a ticket? And he's like, the chief, like, not not a chance. Like, he can drive as fast as he wants in Finland and he would never get uh, a ticket. Uh, my, my final one this was, I think, 2018 All-Star Game. We had this vision um, of giving Pecorine my phone specifically, but to film these selfie-style videos just throughout the skills competition and the the gauntlet and all, all these opportunities for him to have that personal experience. Then we'd put it on social media uh, and the website. And I, I guess for whatever reason, we hadn't done that as much. It feels like in the years past we had. But I'm just not kidding. The first time we'd done it, I just explained this to him. It was just me. Um, and one of our videographers, Lynn, and, and then Pex, we had just taken him, you know, for the last hour through these photo shoots and autographs and all this. And I was like, hey, kind of explaining the concept. Um, I'm sure over explaining, <laughs> but, you know, here's my phone, like shoot us a video. And the second he holds it up, like over his head to shoot, he's like, oh, phone call from dad. And I was like, okay, great. Can you can please <laughs> give that back to me really quick? So anyway, just fun moments like that as only he can. Um, two other quick ones to wrap. Pecarine. We've gone too fast. Mike Anderson had a couple. He wanted to know how blackout restrictions and playoff games work. I don't want to dive into that too too much. But so number one, Bally Sports as Fox Sports Tennessee has been passed. That will be the primary place to watch Preds games in this first round of the playoffs. It's very likely that all the playoff games, unless NBCSN or NBC picks up a game, that they are on Bally Sports. So if you're able to watch during the regular season, I mean, check out the Bally Sports app, for example. You can stream online as well. But if you're able to watch and you're in that uh, market, um, normally for the regular season, it's the exact same way for the, the postseason as well for this first round. So it, your normal broadcasters, your normal talent will be there on the TV side. Of course, 1025, the game will have the games throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs if Nashville is able to advance to future rounds. Um, and then he also retweeted, it's at Travis Fain on Twitter. Apparently earlier in the week, there was a movie being filmed at the North Carolina State Capitol, and I don't know the context, but... The Tennessee state flag was raised to the top of the North Carolina Capitol. And the original tweet was funny in of itself saying, I, like, I repeat, Tennessee has not invaded. Like, they have not taken over North Carolina. I don't know. If that's not foreshadowing in this business, I don't know what is. But uh, the Predators will be looking to do the very same, to steal at least one, if not two, games in Carolina coming up next week. I think... The beloved state flag, um, you know, if the TriStar and the red hanging over North Carolina a few hours before they get there, I, I can't see that as a bad thing. I don't know. It's you, you, you try to take signs in this business, and that's certainly one of them. And quickly, if you're not in the Predators television viewing area on the networks of NBC around the United States and, and Canada on Sportsnet and, and affiliated networks there as well. So yes, if you are you, in North you. America, you can watch these games somehow. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's the playoffs. You should be able to. You can stream. You can watch, as Brooks said, Bally Sports South if you're in the region, 102.5 The Game if you're in the region, those other networks, depending. It's already on the Predators playoff schedule. You can see um, throughout the NBC family of networks where you can watch those games if you are outside the viewing area, viewing or listening areas. For Brooks Braden at Brooks Braden on Twitter, Brooks.Braden on Instagram. I'm at Tom A. Willis on Twitter. Make sure you're following at Preds NHL for that behind the scenes access and content, especially when they head on the road to Raleigh. 
uh, this weekend in advance of games one and two. Thanks for listening to the Presidential Podcast. Thanks to Michael Smith of the Hurricanes for joining us this week on the show, nationalpresidents.com slash podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you can do so. You can download and subscribe to this very one. The Stanley Cup playoffs are here. The first round, there may be nothing better. So drink it in. Enjoy it. Preds and Canes coming up.